Hello, welcome to Minding Your Mind, all about your mind and how it works and mental illness and mental health. With me is Professor Ian Hickey, psychiatrist and co-director of the Brain and Mind Centre at the University of Sydney. The majority of those with a mental illness never go to hospital. They may be treated with medication, therapy, sorting out their body clock exercise, social interaction, purposeful activity, etc. Sometimes, though, people do go to hospital. When does that happen? How does it happen, especially if the person doesn't want to go? What is the difference between voluntary and involuntary hospitalisation? What happens if you're in hospital for a mental illness? How do you get out? What happens in there? Ian, what proportion of people who get a mental illness spend time in hospital? A very small number. Yeah. But we need to differentiate hospitals from emergency departments. Oh, okay. So quite a lot of people, and increasingly in our modern world, end up in emergency departments or go to emergency departments. They end up. They they quite correctly go to an emergency department in a crisis to get care. So we see this increasingly in young people and in people who can't get into other services. So just like with every other major health problems, emergency departments serve a hugely important function of in a crisis, please do go. Please go and get help. Don't be afraid to go. And so, and you can go to an emergency department in two ways, voluntarily or involuntarily, right? Yes. So the great majority of people voluntarily know there's a crisis or a family know there's a crisis, something's happened at home, someone's very unwell, someone's obviously threatening self-harm or there's some particular difficulty. And people go, where do we go in a crisis? Now, some people will ring Lifeline or seek help, but really often people need the confidence to go somewhere where they're confident that there will be professionals yeah. and they'll be treated appropriately. So define crisis because there's no switch to crisis. There's a spectrum. Yeah. So when people feel that there's genuine danger. Right. That, and so the, the classic so Danger ones, to themselves so, or others? Both. So we'll come to actually this very important point. Or property. Important, important distinction. So voluntarily- in certain situations, obviously a family member or families are concerned. They're concerned about their teenage kids. They're concerned about their dad. They're concerned about somebody else. Somebody's expressed a view about they want to harm themselves. Right. And, life's not really and and people want to take an action now. That's really good. That they that the crisis people do respond to. Right. Because you, when you say an action, you mean an action to go to hospital. Yes. Yeah. Because. That's the point at which people will also often take actions and people will rally around. But people aren't going to want to go. Like if they're threatening self-harm or harm to others and you say, hey, let's go to hospital, they're not going to go, that sounds like a good idea, are they? That's the, that's the key interaction. That's the, so the voluntary bit of what we're talking about yeah. is, hey, let's go and try and get help together. Hmm. Let's just not try and solve this at home. This is really serious and, you know, it's 10 o'clock on a Friday night or it's, you know, 9 a.m. on a Saturday morning and there's no – general practice they're going to roll into. There's no psychiatrist available. There's no particular thing. And and they want to take an action now. And crisis actions are often very effective, right? Acting in a crisis, responding to a crisis is important. So people are often more prepared, actually, to take an action at that point. Things have reached a crescendo. There's been a crisis. Something's happened. So give give me a couple of examples of something's happened. Someone's, let's just say, you know, somebody's lost their job during the particular week. They feel life isn't particularly worth living or they've just split mm. up in a relationship and they really have expressed to those close to them that they feel life's not worth going on. And they've made some sort of action or plan to harm themselves. 
and right. people around, and in some way that's been expressed. And it's to a wife or a child or someone else or someone they care about or a friend, and they say, oh, my God, you know, this is really serious. This is not something to be left for a few weeks on a waiting list to see, and, you know, somebody mm. in a month's time might help. So this is the equivalent for men of my age, like chest pain or the sense of a stroke coming on. Something bad is happening, but you as a family member or you as someone close don't have the skills to know yeah. what to do next. But, but you the, know, the, the you key know. thing to me, I mean, I, yeah, I get all that from the other people's point of view. The key thing for me is that I'm just trying to imagine what it's like to be in that situation. If someone said to me, uh, you know, and you're feeling like that. Hey, let's go to somewhere where you don't know anyone. That's a horrible environment that everyone tries to never go to, i.e., a hospital, home to you, but for most people, an environment they never want to go to, where there'll be all these people who you don't know, and you'll probably be in a horrible room with no furniture, and you may have to stay there for ages. I go, no way. So this is the really important thing. Do you go no way? I mean, if my Do you go, your leg's broken, your arm's broken. If my leg was broken, I go sure. I mean. That's the appropriate place to go. I've never but- gone to an emergency department in my life, and I've been to quite a few. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I've been in a few as a doctor. Yeah. But I've got to say, I've escorted a few <laughs> of my relatives and myself yeah. in the other end, right? You said something really interesting. Physically, they're emerging. They're not in very nice places. On the other hand, a lot of the people I mean, who work there, yeah. last time I personally had to take myself to an emergency department, I met the sweetest nurse at about my age who took my hand. <laughs> she took my hand. She took my pulse. <laughs> you know, who... And said, oh, look, well, the reason you've come, very good you've come, because actually you need to be here. Yeah. Now, the place itself had little binging lights and it was 11 o'clock at night. I didn't want to be there. But did I understand the need to be there? You bet. Mm. If I had a kid with a broken arm or someone's bleeding and something else is happening or someone's had some particular thing, there's an urgency to the situation. Now, this may be the case, of course, at another level. Someone's taken an overdose. Someone's done something to harm themselves. Someone's done in the home environment. You can't really sit around and debate. Whether no, it's but a nice also environment, you can't carry them to the car. Like well, they have to be. Well, sometimes in emergencies, we'll carry. We escort. We we insist. Yeah. We 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 go. And and the power of those people we care about. In fact, you're making a really important point, James. Is you never want to go to an emergency department on your own. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you're making an important point here. Oh, you should go to an emergency department isn't going to work. Right. We should go. We should go. I'm really worried. We're concerned. We don't have the skills. This needs to be dealt with now, mm. and we need to get help now. Mm. And it's beyond our level of competence, and it does involve the emergency healthcare system, yeah. just like a heart attack, a broken arm, someone's bleeding, something bad has happened. You never want to be there, no matter what's wrong with you. You never want to be in an emergency department on your own. You're the most vulnerable person is the person with the problem. Yeah. So accompanying people. Now, you said a very interesting thing. Of course, in mental health, there's a big difference here. I'm emphasising the go voluntarily, <laughs> go as a pack, go together if you can. If you can. If and you if can. you can't, I guess- There the- are situations yeah. then in which others, emergency workers, and most notably in mental health too, ambulances and police. Hmm. So sometimes people will ring an ambulance. Not a bad thing to do. So, so there's a distinction here. I know the police can make you go. I'm going. To, no, no, we're going three levels here. Family and yeah. others, yeah, go together. Yeah. Now, the, everyone is reluctant. Everyone is scared. But yeah, you know, on course. the other side, I, I'm going to just slightly dispute with you. The physical environment, of emergency departments, is bad. Right? It's yeah. bad for everything. Yeah, yeah. It's bad. Bad for if you're having a heart attack. It's bad if you're bleeding. It's bad if you're yeah. in pain. But the people, the people who, are good. who run it. 
and I have great respect for my colleagues in emergency medicine who work in these areas, nurses and doctors. and whatever. My experience is, generally speaking, they're very good. And most of them are actually very sensitive. Many of the senior people are very sensitive about mental health. And we have mental health resources in most of our emergency departments across the country. We have people who have training in those areas, mm. nurses, doctors, and others. So it, it, you might not know this, but it is a place where there is considerable mental health expertise. I agree with you about the physical environment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's well, led, well let's talk yeah. in a minute about what happens when you get there, but just getting there. Well, there's a voluntary bit. V- yeah. Just just to say others, when you can't do it yourself, ambulance is the next level up. So can they make a no, person go? But you know what? But they can encourage. Yeah, they're great people to turn up yeah. and escort someone. Oh, come on, you know, you've done something to harm yourself. This really we'll take you. Yeah. And we'll make it easier. Great thing about ambulances, we'll make it easier to get in. You won't have to sit out the front there. Yeah, right. If you have a choice about going in an emergency department, go, go in an ambulance. Yeah. Because <laughs> you get immediately dealt right, with. Yeah, priority. Yeah, priority. Okay. Then at the next level, police. And they have, can make you go. Yes. Police have a legal capacity to transfer a person from a home or a workplace or mm. in the street to an emergency department for mental health assessment. Yeah. So they have that legal ability. And, that, and what's their test? Their test is their judgment that the person or the public is at risk. Right. So they are often the people, of course, caught in the middle of the street if someone's behaving in a bizarre fashion or something mm. that's happening or people feel threatened. And the police are actually extremely good, actually, at sorting out who is disturbed mm. in such a way. I mean, they judge behaviour all the time at the level of not to make a diagnosis, not to assume, but if they feel... And they err on the side of taking people to hospitals rather mm. than police stations, mm. generally speaking. It doesn't always go perfectly, but generally speaking, if they feel it's a mental health problem, and right. certainly if other members of a family or somebody else says it's a mental health problem, the first place they're likely to take people is a hospital. Okay. So you get to hospital. You get to the emergency department. Then- Voluntarily or involuntarily. Yeah, That's right. You're there. What is the next step? Mental health assessment. Right. So in the past- By? Well- like all triage systems, you may first run into a nurse or a yeah. doctor who's not particularly mentally health trained, but they are all have an awareness and they have a rating system like the urgency. And then usually once it's identified as being a mental health problem, they will call on either the nurses or doctors who have mental health expertise yeah. in different departments and well-staffed in that particular area as to whether there's a crisis that can be dealt with in the emergency department and can be followed up outside. Mm-hmm. Um, often people are intoxicated, for example. They're drunk or they've taken some particular substance. They need to stay in hospital for some period. They're trying to make a judgment, would the person then benefit from hospitalisation in a mental health facility within hospitals? All of our hospitals have mental health wards. Just like we have orthopaedic wards and heart wards, we have mental health wards. It's quite common, isn't it, for someone to go to emergency, either voluntary or involuntarily. They kind of sit around for a while, wait for the appropriate person to see them, maybe a second person to see them. And while as that time passes, kind of without any particular treatment, the crisis kind of dissipates and, and they're, you know, okay, you can go now because you, you're not in danger anymore. Whatever you were doing two hours ago isn't apparent now. Is that right or not? Yeah, so all emergency departments have a triage thing. If you arrive unconscious, not breathing, whatever, you go to the front of the queue. Yeah. <laughs> right? So there's always a degree of delay. Now, usually there has been a crisis outside the, the emergency department. In the mental health world, something's, there's been a, a fight at home, there's been some mm. threat of self-harm at home, the there's trigger. been some crisis, there's been some particular thing, and everyone coming to the emergency department, yes, time passes. The person themselves and those around them, to some degree... <laughs> Mm. 
calm down, settle for a particular thing, or start to have conversations. What often ha- happens, which is really good, is other people rush in. <laughs> you mm. know, not just that somebody's mum turns up and somebody's brother turns up and somebody else who's involved and people ring each other. There's a crisis response of the people who sit around yeah. the person who's in trouble. That's really good. So by the time the doctor turns up or the nurse turns up, there's five people there. And you actually get more information and you also find out who cares, what other options are there. Can the, is, it, is it a good or safe outcome for the person to go home? Is it a good or safe outcome for the person to go somewhere else with another relative or another friend? Do they have accommodation? What is the plan to follow up? What's caused the crisis won't have gone away? What's the plan? Have they ever had mental health care before? Are they receiving care? What's actually going on? The information. And what's seen as you know, crisis interventions, crisis responses? As a consequence of the crisis, will some of those people do different? Will the person accept mental health care that they wouldn't accept before? Will, in fact, a family and others provide accommodation or support or other issues, which was not possible? You know, can, so you get this kind of group response and the hard bit, can we mobilise our mental health system to be more responsive to the person in trouble? That all sounds good, but does in theory, that really happen? Isn't there... A psychiatric registrar, for example, who comes in, does an assessment. You don't, you don't seem at the moment to be endangered to yourself, understand what happened before. I've talked to your family members. Now, what's happening? Oh, you saw a psychologist last week. Oh, right. Can I ring the psychologist? No, it's Friday night. But you are seeing one? Yeah, good. Will you see him again? Yeah. Uh, okay, well, you can go home. But there, there's not really any coordination. There's just... Uh, well, this is just, I don't know if this is true or not, but there's just like, okay, the danger's passed. Good luck. You've told me that you're going to do stuff, but I got 18 other patients to see. Right. So I was describing the optimal, warm, caring, decent mm. response. And you're describing what is a very common experience for is those it? who come in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I spend most of my life rallying about this. You know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that court, I mean, you often talk about this coordination, this team. Yes. And it sounds wonderful. And I'm sure in, theory, in yes, 10 it is. years it'll be around, but it's not kind of what well, really happens well, well, much, well, is it? You're de- well, you're describing a lot of what happens in our system under pressure. Yeah. Now, this isn't unique to mental health. If you read about ramping, you know, ambulances lined up at hospitals, police, you know, the pressure on our emergency departments at the moment right across the health system is large. Yeah. And it is largely about who absolutely needs to be in a hospital bed or have a hospital procedure now. So it isn't just happening in mental health. A whole lot of other people are sent home too. <laughs> Yeah. You don't need you don't need very high level emergency care right now. So can we push you back into yeah. the health system but, to but wait? But isn't it more that you know a psychiatric register should be able to say to someone, "Do you give me permission to look at your uh, records?" And you say yes, and then they press a button and type in your name and your whole mental health history, seeing this psychologist, seeing a GP. But that doesn't happen, and it seems ridiculous. So James. On to my next favourite topic. Yeah. I didn't know we'd arrive here, but this is great. <laughs> that's called the 21st century, and that's called yeah, information transfer, and that's called IT coordination of care. I spend my Monday to Fridays when I'm not talking to you trying to explain to people from the health minister down what IT coordinated care is. What is the sharing of information but across every, health systems? Every company that has more than about 10 employees has that. You know, you can say, Every I need company, to look at Bob's matter with uh, some company, being there it is. Why, why can't Every service care? company yeah. except health. It's incredible. Why? Is it because of the privacy stuff or is it just because you first can't all, afford computers? First of all, 
Well, you know, the last time, hilariously, the government bought computers. Can you imagine this for any other business? The government buying computers, buying fax machines yeah. for doctors, etc. Doctor yeah. says, I'm not going to buy them ourselves. You have to buy them for us. Oh, yeah. my God. We're in the 21st century. Yeah. Health information technology has gone through the roof. Sharing of information remains hopeless in the health system and a great deal of debate in the mental health system. Now, I have to clear my own interest here again. Mm. I'm tied up with IT companies and this sort of work all the time in mental right. health. And people who have mental health problems want people to share information. Yeah. Most of the time I'm dealing with people like you. Lawyers, I know, right. you're not, I know you're a novelist these days and an author and not a lawyer anymore, <laughs> but the privacy, security, people saying, no, people don't want it. I go, yes, they do, and the emergency departments are one of the best examples. It's not unique to mental health. I recently escorted a friend to an emergency department with a very serious health problem who'd been in the same hospital a month before, and they said, oh, we can't find the records. Would you mind, they said to me, would you mind ringing her GP on a weekend to see whether we sent the letter to him so we could find out what we did a month ago? Yeah. Okay, you're joking. It's the yeah. same hospital. I oh, know, but it was in a different department and we don't have access to that. So th this is a critical issue because information- Sure is. Information is, is power. critical. Is power. What's happened, who's involved, what's worked. Yeah. Because if I wanted to get out of hospital, I'd say, oh, yeah, I'm seeing a psychologist yeah. and I could just, you know, be bullshitting and they say, well, can I ring the psychologist? No, oh, well, their phone's probably off, you know. So all right, now you're going to drag me into the depths, okay? Last time I dealt with a major Sydney hospital and someone I was doing with a doctor, right? Yeah. And I'm not an ins – I don't know. Maybe I am an, insub what? an insubstantial person in the mental health system, but I don't think no, that I, I am. I don't think I'm an insubstantial person. And had a conversation with a colleague. No, we do not ring the treating doctor, me, or anyone else because we're going to make our own independent assessment. I said, Jesus. what? You're going to act without information to actually decide the person's not at risk yeah. so you can send them home. So, so yes. of course, make your own independent assessment, but obviously to do that, you need information, you blockhead. That's would what you, I would have said, without the blockhead. So you would have said that as a lawyer-like way. I was trying not to swear as a colleague. You yeah, know, of Like, course. what the, what are we doing? Yeah. Because here, information is power. Yeah. And not only information from the person, in most of my roles with national commissions, families have incredibly important information. Yeah. They went and told the doctor or the hospital or the emergency department what the person had just done at home. Right, yeah. which was really serious. Yeah. Oh no, we can't talk to you or the family. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> so here we are. I'm describing the perfect or integrated mm. information sharing, crisis response, coordinated care, and you're describing, and they've dragged me into describing some of the worst things that right. goes well, wrong. Let's move no, on to. You're raising an important point. Yeah. This is what you need to know if you ever find yourself in the situation as a family member. You yeah. got rights, and you need to demand that actually the assessment's done properly. Yeah. And while you might say from the hospital doctor's point of view, they're only interested in a very high level, as you said, can I send you home? That's yeah. not the only question to be – that is a question, but that's not the only question. No, the, what the question after is, that? what do you do? It's just anything else. In many other areas of medicine, like broken bone or cuts, or you do an intervention and then you send the person home, Right. You yeah. actually do things that are therapeutic. Emergency yeah. departments are very therapeutic. Put a Often, cast on your arm. You do the stuff that needs to be done to make the person safe. So what can those things be? So let's talk about one category, possibly the largest, is presenting to hospital, things calm down, family member or members gather, an assessment, the appropriate person says, all right, you can go home, you're no longer a danger. But what if they decide... No, you need to stay. What are the interventions? That well, two things. Just on the intervention, the, yeah. the threshold thing should not, the whole emergency department discussion should not be about whether you're going home or not. Yeah, it, should it should actually be, be about what can we, can we do now? No, yeah, what can we do now 
to make the situation safer, to yeah. resolve the crisis, crisis resolution. What do we need to do? So, you know, not in, not uncommon in my life for family meetings to take place at that point, to organising care, to getting in the information, mm. to getting the psychologist or psychiatrist services involved, GP on the phone, mm. making sure we know what's happened, clear plan, what's going to happen when, who's going to do what. So it's not about when you're in hospital or not. A clear plan of action yep. is decided. Yep which is then deemed to be safe enough for the person to go home. On the other hand, if it's done properly, it might be deemed the person is not safe enough to go home. Yeah. They need to stay because the hospital can do two things. One is provide a potentially safe environment, which the person would not be safe. Yeah. And it's often the case where there isn't a good alternative. So a person doesn't have a supportive family or the family's in conflict or you know, going home is going to make it worse again. Yeah. So that's similar but different, but just that particular function – Keeping a drunk in in you're intoxicated. The in, person is still in intoxicated. Yeah, and, but keeping and, them in the cells overnight for the police for their own safe. It's, 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 but, yes, but the yes. hospital does more than that. But that is one. Function. No, but so it has it has a safety function. You yeah. bet, because the person is very unpredictable. Yeah. Intoxication would be probably the commonest situation. Or oh, you know, an interesting one. The person's clearly lying. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. fine. I'm right. going home. Everyone's going. No, he's not. Yeah, he's not safe at all. And the excuse or is psychotic. Or they're psychotic. They're not able to make that judgment. But again, uh, you made a very interesting point about the first two hours or waiting. The first 24 hours is really important. Yeah. A person might need to be in hospital for two or three days. Yeah. So what happens? So there's a safety function, but what else? What's the Therapeutic. Treatment? Now, yeah. hospitals isn't about jails. No. It's not about cells. I would imagine there's not much therapy happening. Why not? Well, I imagine there should be, but I would there imagine in a busy hospital – It'd be more the medical medication now, alternative. Hang on, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. Well, I'll, I hope well, I'm sorry. wrong. Medication, I'm going to consider therapeutic. Right, yeah. Well, you, you were going to psychotherapeutic, you know, okay. starting, well, okay. you know, psychological. Okay. But having even said that, nurses and other people, telling people, telling their stories, actually mm. sorting out what's going on, getting information, is itself therapeutic. Yeah, true. And it's probably the first opportunity to get all that together. The crisis provides an opportunity. Mm. The crisis isn't just something we managed to get the person out as quick as possible. The crisis is an opportunity for intervention. Yep. To change things. Yep. You know, you might have been in treatment and the treatment's not been working. You might need to access a different treatment, and some treatments can only be delivered in hospital. Certain kind of brain stimulation techniques, certain kinds of changes in medication, certain kinds of new therapeutics so, happen so in hospitals. If if it is decided when after you present to emergency that you need you can't go home or you can't you shouldn't go home it's yeah, preferable to be in hospital yeah would there be an i mean is it really likely that the treating psychiatrist or registrar whatever they're called actually does intervene to change a medical regime that perhaps another psychiatrist or, or, or GP or mental health professional has put the person on? Are they really going to go, oh, you've been seeing this someone person for three months, now we're going to junk that and change it all? That happens quite frequently and Does it's it? not a good idea, oh, right? right? Without discussion with the other person, need right? discussion. Yeah. You need dialogue. You need whatever thing. They may just just ignoring what the person's been on and randomly prescribing something else. So <laughs> right. You're tapping into some bad aspects of my professional life here. What drives me mad is to find out that a person I was looking after went to an emergency department on Friday night and they stopped the drug I was prescribing and they prescribed yeah. something else and no but, one rang. But also, no one you, rang. when you go to emergency, you might not have your medication with you. You might not know what it is. You might not yeah. be, be, be clear yeah. what it is. You might have a side effect of what the medication is. You might all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff. So information gathering, coordination of that to make better plans. Yeah. Really yeah. important. And that's a chance to do that, mm. 
That's what hospitals do all the time. Mm. If you like, hospitalisation results, if you've been in treatment before, because the treatment hasn't worked, <laughs> right? Yeah. So it is the time to review, hang on a second, what have we been doing? Is it sufficient? It hasn't prevented this emergency presentation or hasn't prevented hospitalisation mm. in particular. And sometimes complex medication regimes, considerations of things, further tests that need to be done, which you never got as an outpatient, can right. be done in the hospital. Brain imaging, you know, brain electrical stimulation, factors, all sorts of blood tests. There's all sorts of stuff that can be done in a hospital yeah. easily because hospitals have got all that kit, which you couldn't get. Certain sorts of brain scanning I'm associated with, you could own it. Only in the past, get them in hospital. Yeah. No one would ever do them. You're on a six month waiting list outside the hospital. Right. Hospitals have got stuff. They got kit. They got people. They got expertise. One of the other big issues is they got experts. You mentioned the psychiatrists. Yes, psychiatrists work in hospitals. Mm. Psychiatrists are quite hard to see outside of hospitals. Yeah. In a lot of situations. So, so when people stay for a while in hospital, and we'll talk about private hospitals and voluntary admission shortly, but when people stay for a while in hospitals, I mean, is it usually a couple of days? Is it ever a couple of weeks? And if so, how does that work? Yeah, so when there's the crisis kind of thing we're talking yeah. about, which is often a two, three days sort of thing. Yeah. Resolution of intoxication, organising a safe place to be, looking at alternatives, and then moving into a care system. However, you raise the obvious one, if a person's very psychotic, that doesn't go in two or three days. They're going to need to start on a medication regime. They're going to need to see that the situation moves from being totally out of control and completely discombobulated to being organised and what happens next. Mm. So, yes, people with much more severe mental health problems often need to be in hospital for a longer period, mm. and that might be two or three weeks typically yeah. You know, in the Australian system. And, and so at most public hospitals there are people yes. you know, now who are there for a couple yes. of weeks? Yes, yeah. exactly. Now mm. – Typically, typically, that is because the severity of the illness that they have, often a psychotic thing or a very severe depression, actually requires significant intervention, which takes several weeks to have its effect before they're safe to leave the hospital. And I reckon some people think if my mental illness gets too, too bad, I guess I go into hospital and that's a big thing and that'll probably fix it in a couple of weeks. But really in hospital, you're just doing the things that you do outside hospital in a different way, i.e. therapy, medication, perhaps some behavioural things. I presume there's nothing kind of, I don't know, magic about hospital that automatically makes you better, is there? It's just the same stuff. So, well, that's an interesting thing. There are other factors. Hmm. I mean, maybe you do need to be out of the environment you're in. Maybe you do need to yeah. be out of the family environment you're in. Maybe, you know, maybe we've been stuck in your own room on a screen for the previous six months. You need to be actually interacting with people. You need to be actually – and you need to be interacting with people who are professional and independent and caring. Mm. I love nurses, Yeah. right? They're really good at this kind of thing. They're really caring people who actually spend time with people. And they're not your family. They're not obliged to. They can be fabulous as long as they have time and actually to do it and very therapeutic. To make it clear that people do care, people mm. do value, people want you to be alive, people want you to be better yeah. and you can recover. Yeah. So it's, there are therapeutic aspects which are specific to the environment and this is a really important but I, thing. I also reckon there's probably that thing of, you know, okay, things have been going on, I've had this problem with depression and it's been pretty bad, but then now, shit, I'm in hospital. I want to get out of here. Like there's more of an incentive perhaps to buy into your own recovery when you reach, you know, it's like a, a big wake-up call yeah. perhaps. Yeah, now look, let's just talk about blokes. who don't. Go, every time I'm in hospital and I think, oh, my God, okay, 
this problem's landed me in hospital. I'm going to have to take this problem seriously. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have exactly. to do more in the future than I've done in the past. Yeah. If this is the recurring, they told me what I should do. I yeah, wasn't I didn't doing do it. <laughs> Third yeah. time here. <laughs> yeah, I cannot go through that emergency department. Mm. What do I need to do mm. to not be? This is the secondary prevention. It says the recovery and the secondary prevention. Yes. yes. So often a, a hospitalisation is a real turning point in a person's life about the severity of what they've got. I was, I was talking to one of my great friends, Neil Cole, writer we've had on this program yes. just this week, about actually his first hospitalisation and the realisation of the, really the nature of what he'd had, which he'd had for many, many years mm. previously, but really coming to terms through, through the crisis of his first hospitalisation yeah. and really need to, from that point onwards, turn around his whole, know what it is, buy into actually dealing with it. You might not want to have it. In the same way you don't want to have the heart problem I've got or you don't want to have diabetes or you don't. it doesn't matter whether you want to have it, you've you got, got it. it. So what are we going to do? So I don't have to go back to hospital. Yeah. yeah. Well, none of us wants to spend our lives in hospital. No. But so there is that, I think, uh, if you like, psychological turning point yeah. for many people. No matter what I said, that I could cope on my own, I didn't need hospitals, I didn't need doctors, I was going to sort it out, I didn't need to take the medication, guess what? I need it. I got to get. I got to. I got to buy into what the this end is of really, denial. The end of denial. The, the harsh reality just hit me in the face. Yeah. And okay. now, am I, am I? Am I? And those around me going to go? Okay, let's take the opportunity to turn this around. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked about presenting to hospital either on a voluntary or involuntary basis as a result of a crisis. What about there's just an ongoing, for example, deep depression deep anxiety disorder that's running you down and having a huge impact on your life, when do you think, maybe I should go into hospital voluntarily and can I do that? Like, will, so in, will the private ho- well, in the private hospital sector, yes. Yeah. We have quite a large private psychiatric hospital sector. And, and, and commonly the situation you're describing, chronic depression, chronic anxiety, often complicated by alcohol or substance yeah. abuse and family breakdown, loss of job, got to turn this around. So voluntarily got to put some sort of – break in this. Now, the point here is it needs to be seriously therapeutic. It can't just be a day away scheme, right? It right. isn't just or a time wellness, out. wellness clinic. Or it can't just be. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if you want to go to Byron Bay and swim with dolphins, fine. Right. But, you know, it probably and isn't going to fix the problem. And well, well, yoga. Yoga. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be a therapeutic plan like the why yeah. of it. Now, Many uh, of the better services run really serious, for example, group therapy programs. Mm. You know, gauge people seriously with other people with the program. Engage in intensive psychological therapy programs. May have access to other brain stimulation things that they have associated with the hospital. They may have access to a new medication regime or combination regime, which was not really easy to manage outside. But with an idea that this is not a timeout. This is not a day away. It's yeah. not a holiday. It's a serious therapeutic attempt where a hospital can make a difference. But but would they also, some of those private hospitals, uh, you know, one, one of the things about a, a public hospital, I guess, if you're staying there for a couple of days, is some of the things you talk about a lot, your body clock, exercise, getting into sunlight, they, they're kind of all mucked up in a hospital, aren't they? Because you, you can't really get up and go for a walk Well, outside. yes and no. Well, actually, yes yeah. and no. If you're one of the people who's been nocturnal the whole time, you've been at home and you've stayed yeah. up all night on the internet and you haven't actually got up at eight in the morning in the last five years, actually hospitals are quite routine associated. Yeah. Now, if they're, they're smart- outside. <laughs> like if you're there involuntary, you can't go for a walk except well, the, down well, the corridor. Well, 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 this, well, in an involuntary sense, in a safety sense, no. But this is actually a very important point. And uh, we've done a lot of work with hospitals about body clocks, my favourite issue. Yeah, yes, people yeah, do right. need to get up, the light exposure, they need to exercise, mm-hmm. they need to do things. They're not there to lie in bed. 
Yeah. And actually have all those things get worse. So this is a important- but, but does some of the private hospital programs incorporate some of those behavioral yes, things? Yes. Yes. And and our public hospitals need to as well. And and to yeah. a degree, within the constraints you were previously describing, I think many of them understand that. In fact, in the past, what a lot of hospitalization did was enforce sleep wake cycles. Give people yeah, medication right. to sleep at night, then got them up during the day, you know, and actually in a more scheduling like way, yeah. got people back into a routine. Yeah. Probably one of the most therapeutic things they did. But but it's not, you know, you're lying in bed a lot of the time. That's, no, well, you shouldn't be lying in bed. No, I mean, you shouldn't. I, mean, I agree. One of the things that um, is much debated in psychiatric hospitals why can't I just stay in bed? <laughs> Feeling terrible. <laughs> nope, out of the bed. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Right. So. Socialization, group programs, physical activity, body clock things, these are all things additionally we should be making a great deal of fuss about. So, so they're more programs. at the moment more available in a, a, a private mental health hospital. Usually because people are there for longer, yes. Yeah. But I think the – I don't think this is so much a – well, to some degree it's a public-private because the public sector is dealing with a lot of safety issues. Yeah. So they're having to operate in more constrained yeah, environments, tri- trickier. But in both, that's a big therapeutic issue. Is, is re-establishing regularity and routines and putting emphasis on exactly the sort of things you were just talking about, exercise, body clocks, daylight exposure. So if, if, you know, if you're in a, in a deep depression or anxiety disorder or whatever it is and have been for some time and you're thinking about, should I check myself into one of these private hospital programs for a little while – are you going to have to sell your house? Like, how expensive is it? Well, is no. It? Well, if you, well, this is a private health insurance question. So, you're in right. the, the complexity of billing systems in yeah, Australia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, big discussion I've been in in the past with um, private health insurers. I wish they would say to a lot of young people, you know, the sort of services you're really going to need if you're a young person? Right, mental, mental health. Mental health. Yeah. And then there are things for young women around obstetrics and other areas. And, you know, a good reason to have private health insurance, actually. Yeah. yeah. This is the sort of hospitalization that you might actually need. Yeah. Now, of course, people go, oh, no, I never need that. <laughs> Never, not, not my family, not me. Guess what? Actually, you might. It's a very valuable resource, and so. But I imagine they're not cheap. Well, private health insurance isn't cheap. So yeah, you're, in, right. you're into an issue about the Australian yeah. healthcare system. We have, but your essential point here, James, is true. We have options available in the private healthcare sector, including the private hospital sector, mm. which are not available in the public health sector yeah. in mental health, and, and you know, that's true to some degree, or to a, very, to a large degree, in other areas of healthcare too for private surgery, for other sets of things. So there are, the cost is principally that of private health insurance. Yeah. But there are sets of programs. Now, there's a lot of uh, debate and, and uh, work at the moment on improving the quality of private hospital services. They right. shouldn't be just bed and breakfast type yeah. operators either. Come and have a rest. They should be, be much more, more therapeutic. And the emphasis should be on not coming back to those hospitals. Yeah. Right? Use it once, get into a series of... Programs, you might the assessment, the therapeutic plan, and then emphasis on preventing rehospitalization. Mm. So, what we really lacked in the hospital sector is an emphasis on preventing rehospitalization. What is it we need to do through the opportunity of acute presentation or a hospitalization to try and make sure the person is well enough to reduce the chance that they'll need to be rehospitalized? Mm, mm. And we have not had then the complementary left arm, right arm problem. You know, <laughs> hospitalization needs to sit with programs to prevent rehospitalization. Serious outpatient intensive programs. So it sounds like the key takeout message, if you are presenting to a hospital, either yourself or with someone you care about, 
is don't be passive. That is, if you have information, share it with whoever's assessing the person or assessing you. Make sure you encourage them. Please ring my doctor. Please ring my psychologist. Did you ring them? You know, please get the information. They might have, as we said, 18 other patients. So you've got to be a little bit pushy to encourage them to get the information they need to make good decisions. Absolutely. Yeah. Never go to hospital on your own with anything. Yeah, yeah. Never, Never leave a hospital just to make them feel good. You've oh, gone right. for a good reason. Mm. I mean, these are crises in people's lives. This is really traumatic, actually. You, you said oh, up front yeah. how difficult it is. It is traumatic for the person themselves, for their family, for others. But there's a very good reason. To, I mean, I can tell you each of the times in my life I've had to take a relative to a hospital. There was nothing very pleasant about it, whether it was a kid with a broken bone or a kid mm. with cut-faced or yeah. a relative having a heart attack. There was nothing good about it. Right? It was scary. Yeah, it is. Even though I'm a doctor, it was scary. Yeah. You know, it was. I'm a doctor. It was scary. And I didn't know what would happen. And I didn't know how well good the hospital would be and whatever. But generally speaking, I've known enough to make sure we get what we need when we go there. Mm. And I don't want to go there again. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't have, you know, if it can be avoided. That's the key, isn't it? Get what you need. Like, I think we've all, all been in a hairdresser, me not for a while, or, <laughs> or, some, or some sort of service where you've walked away and you think, oh, I didn't get what I uh, – you know, I, I, I should have been more assertive. You know, I kind of did what they wanted. I didn't really – so don't let that happen to you. So, yeah, you said a really important thing, and I think this sits behind my great frustration with the hospital system at the moment, which the emphasis being clearly the communication, how quickly can we get you out of here? Yeah. Right? You can go home, can't you? You're safe, aren't you? Yeah. You don't really need to be here, do you? Yeah. No, that's why I'm here. I do. It's a cri- – we, we are here because it's a crisis. What can we get out of this whole thing mm. that's therapeutic, that, yeah. that helps us to get further along this track, to not have to be here again yeah. and to be safe and to be safe because yeah. that's really the other anxiety that's sitting underneath this for good reasons. People are there for good reasons. People don't go into these things for trivial reasons. Yeah. You know, if yeah, I hear go, one, hey, oh, I'm a bit bored. I'm a bit bored. I go to that emergency <laughs> department of a large city hospital on a Friday night it's with a relative free. and see how it goes. You know, get, we do not have the American thing of getting out of the cold or getting out of the English thing of yeah. getting out of the rain or whatever. We're not. People are there because serious stuff has happened and we've got to have to make sure that from the health provider's point of view, we are providing the therapeutic things that matter, just like we do for broken bones and cuts and bruises and for heart attacks. We do the stuff that needs to be done that gets the person on the path to recovery. Our systems are under a lot of pressure, and a lot of the bad experiences of care that people have are underpinned by that. But your, your point is so important, James. Do not leave there a dissatisfied customer, yeah. right? Actually, you are very good at it. You were very polite. You said please about 15 times <laughs> in that particular things. I'm a little more edgy, right. you know, look. What we need, we really need you to ring that other doctor. We really need to be informed. We need yeah. to know what happens next. We need to know what the plan is. We need to know who's going to follow up. What's going to be the situation? If we walk out the door and things go wrong again in 10 minutes' time, what do we do then? Yeah. You know, we're here and our problem, this is where the mental health problem gets a bit sensitive, our problem is just as legitimate as the bloke. If I can tell one story before we finish, you know, last time I was in an emergency department, I'm sitting there. And I know I have an irregular heartbeat. And the nurse is originally, and they're going, right, you're staying. In fact, this nurse held my hand. You are not leaving because mm. she knows what I'm like. I'm going to take off. Yeah, <laughs> I want to yeah, leave. You, know, yeah. you are not leaving until we sort this out. And I was sitting next to a young woman who had clearly harmed herself, mm. right? And I was not nearly as confident that anyone was going to say the same thing to her as they said to me. Mm. And I just know that from the particular thing. And I was going, in truth, you know, 
her life's in more danger than mine. Yeah. I know what I'm doing. They're taking care of me. I'm here, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in particular things. And, you know, I'm connected into those systems that are really going to care. Yeah. I was not as confident that she would get the same kind of consideration because she was also on her own, mm. right? And I think that's the thing. We've got to say, hang on a second. Me and her were not that different. In fact, I reckon I'm at less risk than she is. Yeah. There's a tendency in the emergency system to go, oh, the bloke with the heart problem, he's in big trouble. But actually- You must have been very tempted to intervene. Well, I was trying to take care of myself at the same time. But yeah. the, the, I must say, this is, where, this is where nurses are the most fabulous people. I did say to the older nurse, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, yeah. is she okay? Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. Now, this is where, again, having family and having others, but even if you're there on your own, this is where nurses in particular, I know I've said it 10 times, but nurses are great people. Mm. Actually, they are the people that rally around- the doctors would pop in and make some decision or other, rally around that young person who was on their own and make sure they're safe. Yeah. You know, and this is in a big hospital, big inner city hospital emergency department. It is entirely possible. It just depends on the value we put on it. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. And if you think about when you go to the GP or you go to the dentist, you don't leave until you know what to do. You know, you, do, you don't, you know, if you've got a cold, you say, when do I take this and do I need to do this and and whatever, or your dentist, and if it acts up, what do I do? So do the same with your mental health. Ask questions. Um, and if you have any questions or comments for us or want to suggest further topics, please send us an email at mindingyourmind2 at gmail.com. That's mindingyourmind numeral 2 at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who has sent in emails. Minding Your Mind is supported by Future Generation Global and the generous philanthropic donations from families who support ongoing research into youth mental health. Further help's available from Headspace, Beyond Blue, Head to Health and Lifeline. Just Google them or you can call Lifeline on 13 